0: Crosspoint Community Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. Uh, welcome again to Crosspoint, whether you're here in person or if you're joining us online, super glad you're here. And, uh, I guess I better, I guess I better just respond to this Paul Kringle thing. I am super offended that he would come and make fun of the way I talk. Also, I don't care what hair color I have in five years, as long as I still have hair. Couldn't care less about the color, but just hoping I hang on to it. That's my, that's my main goal here. So uh, if you see that guy, you let him know. All right. Um, Excited to get into what we're going to be talking about here this morning, but I just want to, I want to clarify something real quick. Uh, and we have a cool opportunity in front of us right now, kind of in this season. Uh, where everything's kind of, all, all the methods are kind of thrown out and readjusted and all that kind of stuff. And you may have noticed if you've been in the church world, you've been at Crosspoint, oftentimes we'll begin our service with the majority of our time of singing and worship. And it was, I was so grateful that we got to kind of do that with one song this morning. Um, and you will may have noticed over the last few weeks, we've been kind of putting most of that uh, time of singing and worship at the end of the service. And there's some practical reasons that we decided to do that uh, because of the time we're living in, but it's also a cool opportunity. I just want to draw our attention to it for just a moment. Uh, Oftentimes in scripture, especially in the Old Testament, when the Israelites would get a word from God, they would receive that word, that truth from God, and then they would respond with singing and with worship through singing. And so this is a cool opportunity. I don't think it'll be like this forever, This is a cool moment we shouldn't let go by. 2020 is just full of moments we just let go by, right? Let's grasp this one and and take the opportunity to respond through what we sing here in a few moments when the message is over based off of the truth that we hear from Scripture. And let that motivate us as we leave this place to, to be more like Jesus. It's a cool opportunity we have. And really today, it all kind of comes down to a number of responses. That's kind of where I want to draw our attention this morning, to a few responses that we see from a few different people in Scripture this morning. And so if you've been with us over the past few weeks, uh, you'll know that we have been walking through this series uh, just simply titled Jesus, where we're going through the book of Mark, Gospel of Mark, uh, just taking the time... uh, Now it's really important. It's always been important, but especially right now to just look at the life, the actions and the words and the thoughts of Jesus. Um, He is is what we are about, not another Christian leader, not someone who wrote a book. We want to look at the life of Jesus because he is our perfect example of how we are to live. He's our everything. And so we've been taking time to look at what he has been doing, and it's been awesome, it's been challenging. And today we're going to pick up in chapter 7 of the Gospel of Mark. And so you're welcome to turn there if you want, if you have a physical Bible, or if you have a device. Chapter 7, we're going to read verses 24 to 37 here this morning. And as we read through this, we're going to read through it in just a moment. And if you'd rather just listen, that's totally cool. What I'd like for us to do is draw our attention specifically as we walk through these two interactions that Jesus has with two seemingly very different people in very different situations. Let's draw our attention to the responses represented here. The responses of the people that Jesus interacts with when they are confronted with who Jesus is, and the response of Jesus in return. That's what we're going to spend our time really focusing in on here this morning. So be kind of looking out for that. We'll stop along the way. We'll add some clarity to different parts, and and we'll work through this passage together. So you can can, uh, follow along. We're going to start reading in verse 24. Here's what it says, and from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. So uh, if you remember last week, uh, Matt preached an awesome message, and the kind of the context there was Jesus was talking to a group of religious people, scribes, Pharisees, church people, kind of in the heart of Israel. Uh, probably in the Galilee region. And what we find in this passage is he has actually left the whole country of Israel and headed to uh, a place called Phoenicia, which would be kind of where modern-day Syria is, that region, all right? Um, And so this is a Gentile region. So this isn't a, a Jewish group of people. He's headed to a Gentile region, okay? And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know Yet he could not be hidden, just seems to be Jesus' deal all through Mark leading up to this point. He's trying to lay low at this point in his ministry, and just people keep finding him and keep finding him. But he enters his house, most likely to kind of get away, spend some time with the Father, and spend some time teaching his disciples, but he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman, whose little daughter had an unclean spirit, heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. So this woman busts in the door. Jesus drops his bags, kicks his feet up, and no time has passed before this woman busts in the door and falls at Jesus' feet and says, I have this daughter. She has this unclean spirit. I heard about you from someone, and I think you can help me. Will you please heal my daughter? So this woman is, is number one, a woman. She's a Gentile. And she has this daughter who is possessed, so she has a lot of strikes against her at this point. But she busts in with beautiful boldness and falls at the feet of Jesus and says, I think that you are the one that can help me. And if you've been to Sunday school, you might already assume, oh, I know how Jesus does this. Like, he'll be really kind. He'll, he'll go help this lady. But what we find Jesus saying in the next, uh, in the next verse in this passage, if I can be real honest, it's one of like the cringiest things like we get to hear Jesus say in Scripture. And, and it just, our modern sensibilities really, it really bothers me. And we're going to dig into it. We're going to find out why he did this. But at first reading, it's, it, it should bother us a little bit, Jesus' response here. But hang with us, okay, because there's a point. In verse 27, this is how he responds. Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. So even like our modern interpretation of what's being said there, like, doesn't sound great, right? Like, it doesn't sound great for Jesus to say that to someone. And I wish I could say to you, well, you know, in the cultural context really softens the blow. That's not true. In fact, it's, it's worse. <laughs> for, for, for someone to call someone else a dog during that time was a very derogatory term. Very. It, it represented disease. They were, they were dangerous. They were uh, despised. So it was a big deal for someone to call someone else a dog in that time. And Jesus is speaking in an, in an analogy here, in a parable, if you will, uh, and what he's trying to communicate or what is being communicated in this statement is something that most Jewish people, if not all Jewish people, would 100% be behind, which is that the... the The nation of Israel is God's chosen people, and that means that the Messiah that is to come, and more and more people are starting to think maybe Jesus is this Messiah that has come, the Messiah that comes, he's meant to come to rescue Jewish people and and potentially Jewish people alone. And so the, the nation of Israel had all kinds of animosity with its neighbors, and sometimes it had been oppressed, and sometimes it does the oppressing, and there's constant tension between them and the people that they lived alongside. And so this would have been a very common mindset among Jewish people, saying, let the children, let the children of Israel be fed first, for it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the Gentile dogs, Gentile meaning anyone who wasn't Jewish. And so it's important for us to ask the hard question, why in the world would Jesus say that, right? That doesn't sound very Jesus-y, does it? So why would Jesus, why would Jesus say that? And I'll be honest, I did I went down some pretty dark rabbit holes on this trying to figure out like why did Jesus say this? And there's so many people who are way way smarter than me and spent so much more time studying this and so much uh, they have such a better understanding of scripture and original texts and original language and all of this stuff and they're not helpful either. Because they land at different points as well in this. Let me give you a few examples. Some people believe that Jesus was testing this woman's faith to see what would come out of her if she was confronted with a statement like this. Some people believe that that this was kind of tongue-in-cheek and that even in the translation, we're missing some things that kind of soften what Jesus is saying to this woman. Some people even believe that, hey, this is the context that Jesus lived in, was raised in, and that salvation was meant to come to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. We read through that in Scripture. And there's people with very good arguments kind of landing all along the way in that. And so I feel like it's okay for me to stand up here to you as someone who's not as smart as all those guys being like, I'm not exactly sure why in this human moment Jesus decided to say that. But we can know a few things definitively. One, Jesus doesn't get caught off guard, doesn't get caught surprised by what people say. Two, Jesus is never idle with his words. It's not like he was sitting down and this woman caught him off guard and he said something and was like, oops, probably shouldn't have said that. It's not how Jesus does. And three, Jesus is always consistent to his character throughout the entirety of Scripture. And so I think it is very safe for us to say Jesus does not wander around being the ancient version of like an internet troll, just insulting people to cause hurt. That's not how Jesus did things. So while I can't definitively tell you exactly why in that moment Jesus said that, what I can say is in this moment and what leads out of this moment gives us an incredible picture of how Jesus thinks about all people. Because look what happens out of this very difficult and and seemingly hurtful statement that Jesus makes that certainly everyone else who is Jewish in the room would 100% be behind. Here's what happens out of this difficult statement. The woman responds, and actually she fires right back, which is awesome. In verse 28, she says, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. She was like, Jesus, you've been in a house with babies before. You've seen how much food flies off the table to the dog, right? Anyone here with young kids and an animal knows that this is the case, right? That's one, another good reason why I should never own a dog because that dog would be massively overweight at my house, all right? But she says, this is, this is something that, that, that you've seen and you've experienced, and, and even the dogs under the table, if that's what you're calling me, even they receive some crumbs, and Jesus, his response is, you, you might make fun of me, but the only way I can think to, uh, to describe it is Jesus was kind of tickled by this lady's response. Because Jesus, all throughout the book of Mark, if you go back, uh, we'll see over and over again Jesus talking to people who should get why he's there, and they consistently look at him like a deer in the headlights, right? Just go, just go to last week. He's talking to educated, religious people, and he gives them this super easy analogy that, hey, what's on the inside is more important than how you look on the outside, and they all look at him like, oh, what, what are you talking about, Jesus. And he goes to this Gentile woman who wouldn't know anything about that. And he says an incredibly hard analogy to her, and she fires right back because she gets it. She gets that even if I can't have a full three-horse meal, if all you are willing to give me or even just the crumbs, and that's enough for me because I've heard about you, and I believe that you are where hope lives. I, I think Jesus probably sighed a sigh of relief in that moment. Like, finally, somebody who gets it. And this is what he says. For this statement, you may go your way. Your demon has left your daughter. He didn't do some big pronouncement. He didn't go visit this girl. He just said, your daughter is free from the spirit. Go get her. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Then Jesus kind of heads home. Verse 31, it says, Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. Now, this is really interesting because we've actually been to the Decapolis before in the book of Mark. In Mark chapter 5, which I think Travis preached this message, you might remember that Jesus landed in this area before, and he was met by this demon-possessed man who lived in the graveyard, and he had the demons named Legion because there were so many of them. You might remember that. And Jesus heals this man and throws all these demons into these pigs, and the pigs run into the water and drown themselves. And the story ends with the entire town begging Jesus to get out of here. They're like, you are too much for us, man. We need you to go. They're begging for him to leave. And the man who is healed is begging Jesus to take him with him. Jesus denies his request. He says, no, you stay here and you tell of what God has done for you. A few short chapters later, Jesus arrives back on the scene and they're not begging him to leave. They're begging him to heal the people who are broken. I think this just goes to show us what impact a person can make in the world around them if we are just willing to tell about what God has done to us. For us, in us, so these people they're they're bringing these this they bring this man before Jesus who was deaf and had a speech impediment, most likely couldn't speak at all, and they're begging him to heal him. They're begging him to lay his hand on him. And here's what Jesus does in this very tender moment here. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. Very not COVID friendly, right? And it seems kind of weird to us. We're going to get into why that's significant here in a little bit. But he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue, and looked up to heaven. He sighed and said, Apatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. And if you've listened to any of the other messages in the book of Mark, you know what's going to happen here. They cannot handle it. He says, don't tell anyone, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. So two unique interactions, two kind of different scenarios in different people, but there are a few common threads I think we are meant to see in this. And they, they are meant to challenge how we do things in our lives. I think, I think there is a commonality between these people's response to Jesus, and there is a commonality in Jesus' response to these people. So first, let's take a few moments and look at the responses of these individuals who are confronted with Jesus. I think this woman, this Gentile woman with a demon-possessed daughter, and this deaf man who can't speak, give us a great example of how we ought to respond to Jesus, Because when we look at their lives, we see their response marked by really two things, in my opinion, by desperation and by humility. Like, look at the scenarios that led to these people interacting with Jesus. This woman hears that this Jewish guy is in town, hears that he might have something that would be life-changing for her, and she busts down the door to get in there to spend some time with him. She's desperate to be near him. We look at this man who can't hear, he can't speak, throw himself into the middle of this chaotic, anxiety-inducing crowd because he knows and he's desperate to get close to Jesus. This man, his, his whole life has been a humbling experience because he is cut off from relationships and he doesn't know what's going on. And this woman is humbled by the very sentence that Jesus says to her But in both cases, they still draw close to Jesus because they know that he is what they need. See, I think this stands in such sharp contrast to the response of the religious leaders that we looked at last week. Because those religious leaders, those Pharisees, the scribes, the church people, their response to Jesus when he challenged how they did things was self-sufficiency and arrogance. They were like, we can do things ourselves. We can make ourselves clean. We have all these rules that we follow. And we don't really need you to tell us what to do. It stands in direct contrast to these people who understood their brokenness, and it caused them to be desperate to get close to Jesus. I think this leads us to a question we need to ask ourselves. How are we responding to Jesus? When we're confronted with maybe things that need to change in us, or when we're confronted with God's goodness do we respond to him with self-sufficiency and arrogance saying like, yeah, I'll, I'll work on that stuff and then I'll check back in with you? Or do we respond in desperation and humility knowing that we don't deserve anything that God is willing to give us, but we just know we got to be close to him? See, I think that there's, and don't boo me off the stage, I think there's the, the silver lining that comes with this whole pandemic thing for us as North Americans. I don't, I'm not glad it's happening. I would love for it to be over. But I think there is this silver lining here is that we are starting to learn a little bit about desperation. Just a little bit, not a lot. But as North American people, particularly North American like middle class people, we don't really feel desperation very often because we don't have to. Nine times out of ten, you can throw enough money at something, you can, you can throw your weight around a little bit, uh, power or influence, you can throw a big enough fit, and eventually you'll be able to gain control back of the situation, Right? Nine times out of ten, we can do that if we have the resources. But now we're living in this situation where there's this virus and it's kind of this great equalizer, and we are stuck feeling a slight bit desperate. We're starting to feel that maybe I don't have control over as much as I thought I did. Is that desperation pushing us into the presence of Jesus? It should be. A lot of the rest of the world gets this. We need to make sure that in our interactions, we're not trying to gain control back from what God is doing, but instead in desperation, lean into the goodness that that, uh, Jesus has offered us. We not only get a good picture of how we ought to respond to Jesus, but this passage also gives us a really good picture of how Jesus responds to us. On the surface, it seems like they're two very different, separate responses to this woman who's a Gentile, to this man who's deaf. But I actually think that, that these, and, and many, if not all, of Jesus' responses to people who come before him in desperation and humility, recognizing their brokenness and needing him to change them, if we boil it all down, these responses are motivated by compassion, like real compassion. And I believe that it is vitally important for us, as followers of Jesus, to have a good understanding of what real compassion is. It helps us understand how God feels about us, and it's also how we're called to treat other people. It really seems to matter a lot to Jesus. Jesus did so much of what he did motivated by compassion, but I have this growing conviction, mostly from looking at myself, that I think many of us don't really understand what compassion actually is. We don't really get what real biblical Christ-like compassion is, and we need to because the world desperately needs it. Thankfully, here in these two stories, Jesus gives us some characteristics, a bit of a blueprint, if you will, of what his compassion looks like, what Christ-like compassion actually looks like. And this is what he feels towards us, and this is what we are called to feel about other people as well. But before we get into it, we need to set something straight here. I see this more and more. I think there's this incredibly poisonous idea that actually is being embraced even by the church, maybe especially by the church. I don't know why. That compassion is somehow a weakness that works against us. I think we get to that place Because we don't understand what compassion is. I think we get there because we think compassion is just being nice to people or not rocking the boat. And we tend to not take Jesus at his word that compassion should motivate almost every decision that we make. Because as soon as we feel threatened by someone, what's the first thing to go out the window? Go on anybody's Facebook right now and you'll see this at play. When we feel threatened, compassion is the first thing to go toward people. Because even though it's a nice idea, even though we read about it in our kids' Bibles, it's not how the world works, right? Compassion doesn't actually get you ahead in life. In fact, real, like, deep, radical compassion actually holds you back from being able to accomplish what you want to accomplish. Like, we know, yes, yes, Jesus says to be compassionate, but, man, people need to pull themselves together, right? We don't want to enable people, so, yeah, we'll be compassionate but to an extent. Yeah, I know Jesus says to be compassionate, but not if it means that they're going to take advantage of me or walk all over me. Like, there's a line that needs to be drawn here. Jesus says to be compassionate as long as it's not too costly. We need to be smart about this thing. Jesus says be compassionate, but there's only so much I can give, so I'm going to pick and choose who I'm going to give it to, and they kind of got to deserve it. And some of us would never say those words out loud, but our actions still paint that picture that when it comes down to it, compassion is a nice idea, but we still view it as a weakness. Church, we have to settle this once and for all. Real compassion is not weakness, period. Real compassion is one of our greatest strengths. And here's why. Because real compassion does not turn a blind eye or pretend like there's nothing broken in the world. Real, real compassion doesn't dismiss wrong actions or try to escape consequence every time, but real Jesus-like compassion stares brokenness in the face and says, I'm going to choose to love you anyway, because that's exactly what Jesus did for you, and that's exactly what Jesus did for me. He saw us at our absolute most broken moment, our lowest of lows, and said, I love that man, I love that woman, I love that child. Your brokenness does not scare me away. In fact, in spite of what you have done, I will love you to the point where it costs me my life so that you can have a relationship with God, so that you can be part of this family. Even though you hated me, even when you took advantage of me, even when it cost me everything, I will still choose to love you. Man, if you still think that's weakness, I don't even know what else to say. That's the type of compassion that Jesus lived out day to day, and it's the type of compassion that we should be chasing after with every fiber of our being. Real compassion is not weak, it's strong. It's not just being nice, it's much, much deeper than that. And that is really good news for us, because we need that kind of compassion. And as followers of Jesus, we need to show that kind of compassion to other people. So what does that real compassion look like then? If we can settle in our brains, at least for the moment, okay, I'm not going to think about it as a weakness anymore. I'm really going to take Jesus at his word and just go for it with everything I have. Then what does that actually look like? That can be a really hard thing to figure out because the world has messed it up so much. I think in these two interactions, Jesus has shown us some characteristics uh, that, that we can emulate as we try to pursue compassion in our lives. So let's take a look. I just want to run through three real quick. They're not going to be long. They're going to be short to the point. But I think these are the things that will help us grasp real Christ-like compassion in our lives. The first thing we see in Jesus is this real compassion doesn't cut anyone off. Both these people were completely cut off in different ways. This man who was deaf and couldn't speak, he was physically cut off from the world around him, right? Right? And because he was disabled, he would also be cut off socially from a lot of, from a lot of uh, people and things. And Jesus saw this man and saw that he was cut off from the things that he needed, and Jesus chose to enter into the situation that he was in, in a very tender and gentle moment to provide the healing that this man needed. The woman, she was cut off. She was a, like I said, she was a woman, she was a Gentile, she had a demon-possessed kid, that's a lot of strikes against a person. She was cut off spiritually, at least people thought so. She was cut off socially. She was cut off from certain rights and privileges. Yet Jesus made a point to go to where these people were. I think that speaks volumes to how Jesus functions and how real compassion looks. If we are really going to embrace the type of compassion that Jesus models, we don't get to cut people off. I'm really glad Jesus didn't cut us off when sin ruled in our life, right? I think most of us are pretty good at compassion management is what I call it. Determining who gets it and how much and who deserves to have the compassion that I have in me. It's like we have this compassion valve uh, that we have total control over. We turn it on for some people and we turn it off for other people. And maybe maybe let a little bit out for some people if we kind of like them and then we close it back up. So I think real compassion turns that sucker wide open. Jesus seems to make the case that no one gets cut off from his compassion. Not a Gentile woman, not a disabled man, not an arrogant Pharisee, and not you, and not me. That's a hard thing for us to live out because that means that the people you love and the people you hate still get our compassion. We don't get to hold back. We don't get to cut off. So let's make it real here. This is not theory. That means Republicans and Democrats, conservatives and liberals, maskers and anti-maskers, rich, poor, those being hurt, those doing the hurting, the wicked, the righteous, no matter skin color, ideology, orientation, failures, whether you count them as a friend or a legitimate enemy to you. As a follower of Jesus, no one gets cut off from real Christlike compassion, period. I know that this is hard. And I know that there is a need for wisdom and discernment in how we navigate these relationships. That's why we need to stay connected to Jesus. But this is exactly what God calls us to. And and I say that it's hard because I'm walking through this myself right now. And I'm running out of time, but I'm just going to keep going, Okay. <laughs> So a lot of you know our story, like we have been involved in foster care, and we've adopted a few kids out of foster care. And one of the deals when you do foster care here is you are a champion for the parent until the very bitter end, until, until the, the papers are signed. And we tried to do that both times with the kids that we've adopted. And both times, the relationship kind of flamed out with the parent. And that's not untypical. And if I'm going to be honest with you, even though it feels gross to say this, it was kind of a relief because it made things really simple. And then a couple months ago, I'm driving with my daughter in the car, and I look over, and there's her dad in a car next to me. And I'd like to tell you that I was like, oh, what an opportunity. If I can be honest, my heart dropped, because things were so easy and so clean. And all of a sudden, I had a choice that I had to make. And that rekindled this relationship with some of her biological family. And every time we go into that situation, I could come up with a hundred legitimate, in my mind, reasons to cut off that relationship. But Jesus, in this passage that I've been working on for a month, is like, no, you don't get to do that. You have to be wise. You need to have discernment, but you don't get to cut off this person, and you need to show them the compassion that I've shown you. See, I think when the rubber meets the road, this is something that has to be present in the life of a believer if we want to represent Jesus well. We've got to keep going. The second thing that I see represented in these stories uh, that help us embrace real compassion is real compassion is specific. Like you look at specifically the, the interaction that Jesus has with this man who is deaf. And he responded just so beautifully to this guy's situation. He took him away from the crowd. He communicated with him the only language he could understand by kind of miming it out. Like, he was very specific in how he interacted with that man, and he was very specific how he interacted with this woman, and he was very specific every single time he showed compassion to anyone. And I think that's an important reality for us because it forces us to be intentional. Compassion doesn't really allow us to program it. I think we'd like that. Come to the church from 6 to 9 on Sunday night. We'll do compassion. You can check it off your box, and then we can go about our life, right? But that's not, that's not what real compassion looks like. It's, it's being aware. It's having the eyes to see. And it's, and it's being willing to be specific to individual situations. Because sometimes something that is incredibly compassionate to one type of person would not be to another. And we don't get to just blanket over all of it. We got to care about the individual and then respond with individual specific compassion. The last one and then we're, we're going to wrap up here that we see in these interactions with Jesus is real compassion is compelling. Real compassion mobilizes people. Look at what this crowd did after Jesus healed this deaf man. After seeing this incredibly compassionate act, they could not stop talking about it. They didn't talk about what he said. They didn't talk about what he looked like or what his crew was doing. They saw this man show incredible compassion to someone who was broken and they could not stop talking about them. Jesus asked them not to, and they still couldn't stop talking about it. See, I really believe this. When, when we as the church are known as a compassionate people, it's compelling. It's what people want to see. It's really easy for us to know that compassion is important, but we kind of use it or we look at it as a side issue. Like real things get done with strategies and charisma and vision, but in the life of Jesus, we see him lead with compassion He was constantly telling people to relax. Don't go tell everyone about this, at least up to this point in the Gospel of Mark. But they can't help themselves because they're compelled by the compassion they see. See, I believe that real strong compassion is very compelling to a world who needs Jesus. But here's the problem. And I think we we, we just have to be willing to say this truthfully. The North American church is gaining this very earned reputation over the last year it's not for compassion. It's for being entitled babies, that throw a fit when we don't get what we want. It's doing a lot of damage. And I know I can speak for Matt and Travis and all the leadership of this church that that's not what we want to be known for, because that's not representing Jesus well. We need to be a people who are motivated by radical, real compassion. A people who are willing to lay down our rights and our privileges and the things that we think are really important for the benefit of people who need to know Jesus. Why? Because that's what he's done for us. That's what he consistently does for us. And it should motivate us to do the same. It is incredibly compelling when Christians choose to live by compassion, real compassion, strong compassion. And it's something that this church, I think, needs to be known for. And so we have a choice in front of us. The band's going to come back up, and we're going to sing a few songs together. And we have this choice in front of us right now. Like these people, we have a choice of how we're going to respond. We've heard some truth of Scripture. We've seen maybe a part of Jesus we haven't been aware of before or we've forgotten about. And we have a, a choice in front of us to uh, in how we're going to respond. I would urge us, let's respond the way that this woman and this man responded, desperate to get close to Jesus with humility saying, Lord, even if all you gave us were just crumbs, man, that would be so worth it, but we know you're our dad and you give us really good gifts because you promise it. But even if all you gave us were crumbs, we trust you. We know that you uh, know what's best for us. Maybe, maybe during that time, what you need to, the way that you need to respond is just recognizing the compassion that Jesus has already poured out on you and maybe you've forgotten about. And maybe some of us need to respond in, in realigning our idea of what compassion actually is. Asking God, man, let me see the world the way you see it. Let my heart break for the things that break your heart. Let this real, genuine, radical compassion motivate me to live differently once I leave this place or once I go out into the world. This is our response. Let's make sure that it's honoring to the God that we're responding to. Would you pray with me, Jesus? Thank you so much for the compassion you've shown us. Lord, I just, I really pray, Lord, that we could figure this out. Lord, that we would not see compassion is a weakness or something that's secondary, but let it guide all of our decisions, even if it's messy, even if it's costly. God, I pray that uh, when people look at us, when people look at Crosspoint, when people look at us as individuals, God, um, they would see a pretty close representation of the kind of compassion that we've seen you show today. God, we love you. We thank you. We pray we would respond well in this moment in your name. Amen.